This is episode 541 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. In Romans 1, the Holy Spirit reveals the three phases a dying culture goes through when God removes his hand of grace and allows a people to experience the consequences of their own sin. We've seen this in our own country over the last 60 years, and unfortunately, once a culture reaches this third phase, the debased mind, there is no return. The die is cast, and the day of grace has passed. These three phases are all introduced by the phrase, God gave them over, or God gave them up. You find them in Romans chapter 1, verses 24, 26, and 28. Literally, it describes a people who have rejected his word, demanded their independence, and have received from him just that. God removes his hand of protection and allows those in active rebellion to experience firsthand the consequences of their sin as they look less and less like him and become more and more like Satan. And do you know the perfect description of a debased mind in Scripture is what we call narcissism today? Oh, yes. And narcissism is springing up like kudzu in South Carolina. What do you think it means? Could it be a sign of the soon return of Jesus? And what are the implications for us today, especially in our culture, as we have entered into this third phase of judgment? Join us today as we look at the connection between the rise of narcissism and God's curse of a depraved mind as we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. There is a word out there that almost everybody talks about that nobody talked about when I was growing up called narcissism. Anybody ever heard it? You know, hey, you're a narcissist. Hey, we live in a narcissist society. Hey, you struggle with narcissism. My husband's a narcissist. My wife's a narcissist. My boss is a narcissist. Donald Trump is a narcissist. Everybody is a narcissist. Uh, A lot of this is bred from social media. Today, just this morning, I went on, um, I was looking at an attributes of God. So I went on got questions and they had a video of the attributes of God about three minutes long. And so I was watching it, thinking about maybe playing it here at one point in time and the pictures that they had flashing, you know, as they're talking about young people and stuff of that nature of the five or six pictures that went by, at least four of them was somebody taking a selfie because that's all young people do these days. We take selfies, pictures of ourselves. We let everybody know on the internet what we had for dinner, what our cat looks like, where we're going on vacation, because everybody wants to know about us. We, we're the most important people on the universe. And in the universe, we have a hard time understanding this sudden rise in our culture of not only homosexuality, uh, not only transgenderism, but narcissism. And narcissism has an incredible prophetic implication unbelievable prophetic implication. To give you a a little summary of narcissism, let me go ahead and read to you from the Psychology Today. It's an article that came out 2019. Simply says this, narcissism is all the rage these days. Everyone wants to understand more about narcissistic personalities, how to get along with them or how to avoid them. Narcissism has now many subsets, the idealizing narcissist, the grandiose, the marrying narcissist. They were discovered in the late 1970s, as well as the new types of narcissists that seem to pop up every day. 
is the antisocial narcissist, malignant, uh, the vulnerable, also known as a covert narcissist, a overt narcissist. There's million different brands of this. The narcissistic personality disorder has become more and more typical diagnosis of any psychological malady. In 1979, social critic Christopher Lynch wrote The Culture of Narcissism, arguing that was once viewed as narcissistic personality disorder has become typical of American society as a whole. What used to be a mental illness is now typical of everybody. Narcissism has become so per pervasive in our society that it seems like society itself is disordered with narcissism. How I feel, how I want, what's going to happen to me? Let me give you a brief history, brief history of narcissism. Then I want to show you the prophetic implications of this, and I think you'll be absolutely shocked. Narcissism, the phrase, comes from the term narcissist, which was a character in ancient Greek mythology. Here is a picture of him now. And in Greek mythology, what happened is you had this young man, this very handsome young man, well-fit, everybody liked, named Narcissus. But Narcissus had this inability to love anybody. People loved him, but he could not love back. And so there was this nymph called Echo who set her sights on this 16-year-old boy named Narcissus and decided that I will win his heart. And of course, she couldn't win his heart. She was rejected by him. She got really offended, talked to her dad. So his, so his narcissist was sitting by this pool of water, looking at his reflection, admiring himself, that he was cursed with what we now know as narcissism. And the only thing he fell in love with was himself. And so all he did is he sat and looked at himself and dreamed about himself and thought he was the prettiest, most, most lovable person ever until he literally died and expired. And what happened is where his body died, this plant grew, which they call now the narcissist plant. That's where the phrase came from. And now all of a sudden we have this idea of narcissism. And I'm just going to give you a summary from um, psychological journals of what a narcissist is kind of all about. If you've been married to one, if your father or mother was a narcissist, my dad was. My dad was a narcissist, and we didn't even know what that meant back then. If you had children that have narcissistic tendencies or friends that are narcissists that don't care about you and what you want to do or how it affects you, it's really just all about them, who always want to talk but never want to listen, here's some summary of traits from narcissism. They have grandiose or overestimate of their worth and abilities. They are the best at everything. Nobody can do it like they can. Everybody else is substandard. They believe that they are special. And since they're special, they can be only understood by other special people of high standard or high status. They fantasize about success and their own brilliance, as well as other personal qualifications that are special better than someone else. They need constant admiration, constant admiration. Does this look okay? Is that okay? Did I do this? What do you think about me? They have a sense of entitlement. They believe that they are so special, others should give them favorable treatment. They exploit others. In order to feed their own needs, they exploit others. They take advantage of people. They manipulate, they lie, they do what's ever necessary to get other people to serve them. They are typically arrogant and self-serving and patronizing to others. 
They lack total empathy, like 16-year-old narcissists. They don't have compassion for others. They don't understand the feelings of others. And as a narcissist, they don't care because they're the center of their universe. They are envious of others, but then they turn that around thinking other people must be envious of them. Narcissism has been around forever, but in the last 60 years or so, it has risen to the forefront of popular culture. If you look at psychological magazines, I had my undergraduate degree in psychology. If you look at psychological magazines, everybody talks about it. The internet is just, just full of, of people talking about how to deal with a narcissist or what kind of therapy works with a narcissist or what you can do if you're connected to a narcissist. And there's videos, hundreds of videos of people talking about it because people are absolutely get, getting destroyed by narcissism. I can honestly tell you over the past 10 years, that the vast majority of marriage counseling that I've done, the vast majority of counseling I've done, period, usually has to do if there's two people involved with one of them being a narcissist and the other one being a victim. And it's, uh, it just keeps growing. And uh, last 60 years, narcissism has come like a household word, word to us. And the reason is why. Why all of a sudden did narcissism become so prevalent? And again, social media feeds it, but social media didn't cause it to happen. Again, characteristics of narcissism. You're number one. You have these delusions of grandeur. You think you're something that you're not, and everybody who knows you're not that person has to treat you like you are or you get offended, hurt feel like they're self-important. Therefore, if I'm not getting the, the attaboys that I want, you have to give them to me. My children have to give them to me. My spouse has to give them to me. They always have problems with authority figures. You know, my boss doesn't give me the adulation that I want, so I go down to the people who work under me and get them to be devoted to me. They have excessive need for affirmation, a grand sense of entitlement. This whole woke culture we're dealing with right now has its foundation in narcissism. I'm right. My feelings are most important. And if you do anything that offends my fragile sensitivities, you're canceled. You're gone. You're out of here. You're, you're nothing anymore because you have no value unless, of course, you meet my selfish needs. They are exploitive in their behavior. A narcissistic husband exploits his wife and his kids. Uh, narcissistic friends exploits everybody else just for themselves. They have no empathy, no compassion, no love, and they are incapable of even expressing that. They, again, they envy others. They believe others are envious of them. They are arrogant. They are haughty. They think they're special. They're better than you. They don't have anything to do with you if you somehow don't feed their standard that they've set for themselves. They have a great need for control. Great need for control in my own um, in my own upbringing. Did not know it at the time. My dad was very much a narcissist, and my mom, you know, stayed at home with us, and therefore she thought my dad was the greatest person in the world because all she knew is what he told her. And the bosses were holding him back, and he never uh, got the ability to do the things that he thought should be done. He had all these grandiose ideas about how the company should run better. Nobody would listen to him. Eventually they would fire him and it was always somebody else's fault until my mom decided to go out and get a job. 
So she went out into the real world and got a job at the American Cancer Society. And other people would say things like, really? I mean, it doesn't seem that families aren't like your family. I mean, that, that doesn't seem normal. And so my dad would have to control that because you can't let truth narrative come into someone who's manipulative. And by the way, nothing is their fault. Nothing is their fault. Everything is somebody else's fault. They take no responsibility. They view everything as a threat. They are master manipulators, and they cannot work together as a team. If you have a team project, they buck the system. It doesn't work. This person isn't doing it right. I think it needs to be done this way. They are the worst people that you ever want to have on a team because it's all about them. This is narcissism. You have narcissistic spouses, children, bosses, friends, neighbors, and it seems like everywhere you turn around, this, they call it a mental illness of narcissism, spreads like kudzu. Listen very carefully. It is not a mental illness. It cannot be treated with therapy. It's not like having a lack of love for someone or, or trying to to deal with some sort of psychological issue. It's not that way at all. It is a spiritual condition that is prophesied a sign of the end times. And other than a mighty move of Christ, there is no cure. Can a narcissist be a Christian? We'll talk about that at the very end here. Narcissism, listen very carefully, is a personification of the characteristics and personality of Satan himself living in a human being. How Satan is to others and God and even himself, how he views himself, is exactly how a narcissist views himself. So therefore, it's not surprising that at the closing era of our world before Jesus Christ comes back, that all of a sudden narcissism is the rage. Narcissism is the disease everybody's suffering with. Everybody has a tendency of living more like Satan. And again, it's not a, it's not something that just happens. It's actually a curse of God on a culture and a people, and in our situation, an entire world who rejects his truth. You remember in Romans chapter one, the God gave them over passages. I've shared this with you at least three times over the last two months. I've gone through them quickly. What happens is when a culture decides, a people decide, an individual decides, they will no longer acknowledge God, they will reject God, that all of a sudden he allows judgment to take place and his judgment is always in the form of letting us experience the consequences of our sin and our choices. It's like he takes away his grace, takes away his mercy, takes away his forbearance, and lets our own nature, our own sinful nature run its course. Therefore, in um, verse number 24, you begin the um, first one of those. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. First thing that happens here is God gives up a culture to sexual immorality. We saw that really in the 60s, moving into the 70s. And prior to that, there were certain standards even in Hollywood and on television. And there's no standards like that now. You uh, have a cell phone 
that we give to a 13-year-old and three pokes away, he's looking at porn and we don't think that happens? I mean, it's just, it's amazing what's available right now. So the first curse to a culture is sexual immorality. We throw away all covenants of God. We throw away covenants of marriage. We throw away chastity. We make fun of people who want to be virgins by the time they get married. I mean, come on. You need to have sex with 15 or 20 people before you get married. You need to have sex with the person you're thinking about getting married to make sure you're compatible because that's all marriage is, is just about sex. And it becomes just commonplace in our culture. Therefore, as an outflow of that, we have all this unwanted baby. So now we have to murder babies in order to have our sexual union. God's giving man up to that. And we've seen it in our nation and seen it in our culture as a curse of God beginning in the 60s. Verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature, our bodies, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. But sexual immorality was not enough. And now all of a sudden we had to move into the next phase of debauchery, which is homosexuality. In the 1990s, no one ever talked about it. I mean, we knew a few people were gay. Rock Hudson, you know, died of AIDS. And that was a big shock to everybody. And, you know, um, Freddie Mercury was gay. And we looked at him and go, yeah, I understand that. And, And then all of a sudden people started coming out of the closet and we applauded them as a culture. And now it's almost like if you're not gay or bisexual or pansexual or whatever sexual thing there is right now, then there's something wrong with you. Don't tell me that you're just heterosexual. You're missing all the joy in life. And then out of nowhere, just as fast as we could turn around, it was accepted. Hallmark movies now. They had to have some sort of lesbian couple in a Hallmark movie. Why? Because that's just what's important today. It's a curse from God. Look at the next one. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural lust for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Do you realize gay people would have never come out as quickly as they did if AIDS hadn't hit and you had to somehow explain that? So we have that just pushed. And then when there's no repentance to take place, God brings us to this last curse. This is a curse of God on a culture. And it begins in verse number 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up to the final, last death knell of a culture, to a debased mind. The word debased means morally reprehensible, worthless, deceitful, corrupted. What kind of mind can sit at a table in front of Congress at a hearing to be a Supreme Court judge and not be able to define what a woman is? I mean, really? If you don't even, do you know what a dog is or a cat or a duck? But I don't know what a woman, I can't say what a woman is. I'm not a biologist. And nobody calls her out on that. Nobody says how crazy that is. And they vote her in to the highest court in the land. It's a debased culture and a debased mind that says, you know what? I'm a man, but I want to uh, self-identify as a woman. 
And therefore, if I self-identify as a woman, I can swim and compete with other women. I can go to the women's restroom. I can do all that kind of stuff because I, in my mind, decide that I want to be a woman. When I was taking psychology in the mid-70s, that a man who thought he was a woman and identified as a woman and dressed like a woman and acted like a woman and actually thought she could have, he could have babies was mentally ill. Do you remember that? Mentally ill, but not today. Not today. They're exalted as one of the highest pillars of our society today because we have a debased mind. Therefore, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprehensible, worthless, deceitful, corrupt mind to do those things which are not fitting, lawful, approved of. And what are those things? Look very carefully. This is a description of narcissism. This is how God is judging our land. And it is a curse of God on people who reject him. So what are those things they're doing that are not fitting? Being filled filled. doesn't say they have a traits of it. They're filled, which means to contain as much as possible, to fill completely, to the brim, to be filled with all. That's pos. Should know that Greek word by now. It means each, every, all in totality without exception. There's no plan B here. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Failure to adhere to moral principles or commands or laws, but doing what is wrong. They are filled with the desire to do what is wrong, to do, to reject moral principles, God-honoring principles that would just make you a good person. Sexual immorality, we've already covered that. Wickedness, they're filled with unrighteousness, filled with sexual immorality, Filled with wickedness. Wickedness has to do with your nature. It means your, your mind, the way you pervert virtues and moral principles, it's your depravity. I think evil. I think selfish. Whatever I want to do is what I want to do. Doesn't matter what anybody else says. Doesn't matter what the Bible says. Doesn't matter what Jesus says. Doesn't matter what my parents say. Doesn't matter about anything because I have this insatiable, depraved need to do what I want to do being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetedness. This is greed, desire. It's a lust for wealth or lust for something someone else has. Maliciousness, which is just thinking evil thoughts. And it's not just in the trenches this happens. We've had this show committee going on in Washington that all the news media, except for Fox News, broadcast live, this January 6th commission, which has certain rules that, uh, that they've employed. Number one, there's no cross-examination. There's no uh, rebuttal witnesses. There's no documentation that needs to be shared. Anybody can stand up there on national television and say whatever they want to say about a political agenda, and it's treated as if it's true. There's a maliciousness going on in the highest form of our government, and it filters on down into every institution that we're under today. It is, it is shocking. I don't want to digress on that, but 
It's being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetedness, maliciousness. This is a description of narcissism. They're not only filled, but now they are full. They've gone another step. They're full. They're filled up. They're stuffed to the brim of envy, murder, and strife. Envy is jealousy, resentment felt at the sight of excellence or somebody else doing something good. Therefore, somebody else is being honored. If somebody else is being blessed by God, we have to trash that person. We have to tear them down. We have to say evil things to them. One of the most vicious places you can go to have your life crushed is Facebook. I don't know why people are still on it. I mean, people get behind Facebook and they write whatever they want. And and it's like this desire we have to tear somebody else down. Murder and strife. Strife is bitter conflict, contention, discord. We have deceit and evil-mindedness. Deceit is exactly what a narcissist does. They, they bait people to follow them, to believe their story. There's this, this guile, this treachery, this fraud that takes place. When, um, and I know this by experience, when uh, a narcissist decides that they want to woo a young lady or win a young lady's heart, what a narcissist does is they figure out what that young lady values. Hey, you know what? I, um, I, I homeschool. I was homeschooled and I really, uh, I want to be home. I, I want to homeschool my own kids. Me, me too. Me too. I've always wanted to homeschool the kid. That's just great. You homeschool. I want to homeschool. And what else do you want to do? Well, I really, uh, I want to be a musician or I want to be a missionary or I want to do this or I want to go there and I want to have a whole lot of kids. Whatever that woman wants, that narcissist, me too. That's exactly what I want to do. This is great. We're connected. And when you get married to it, you find that they didn't mean those things at all. At all. It was just a way to bait you, to get you in, to get you hooked so a narcissist can have his way. It's exactly what happens to people who have a depraved mind. They are whisperers. They are gossips. They are slanderers, secret slanderers, trying to destroy the character of somebody else but in some way trying to build themselves up. They're envious of someone else, but they think other people are envious of them. So if they can destroy those other people, then it makes them somehow feel better. What I'm reading to you is what the Holy Spirit wrote 2,000 years ago through the pen of Paul about the last judgment God will bring on a culture. And these fit exactly with the personality of Satan, the character traits of Satan, and what we're seeing unleashed on our own society in the last 60 years, but especially in the last 15. Gets worse. Follow it along in Romans 1. They are backbiters. They are those who attack the reputation of another person by slander, saying terrible things about them behind their backs. And the reason why they do that is because they're haters of God. They hate everything about God. I will not bow my knee to God. I will not follow his standards. I will be just like my father, Satan, who was a liar from the beginning. They're violent. The word here for violent means an insolent persecutor of others who mistreats them for pleasure, which the affliction of the wrong brings him. A narcissist takes great joy in destroying the life of others. They'll never show it. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, it just breaks my heart. That's part of the manipulation. But inside, they're excited about the fact that somebody else is trashed. Somebody else is crushed. Somebody else is hurt. 
not them because they're arrogant. They're proud, haughty, contemptuous. They have this feeling, as I shared with you, this grandiose feeling of unwarranted importance. They're number one, and everybody else is designed to serve them. Therefore, they're boasters, self-exalting people who have conceit in their own superiority. They're inventors, the scripture says, of evil things. They think of new and innovative ways to be wicked and do morally objectionable things. We see this in our culture going from homosexuality to now all these different plethoras of things. And if you happen to disagree with them, that there's something wrong with you. They're disobedient, note this, to parents. Why would we put that in there? The only people that are disobedient to parents are kids. Because when you leave your home, you become a unit of your own. But they're kids. This narcissistic curse of God filters down into our children. You watch any Disney movie put out in the last 40 years, parents are stupid, kids have all the wisdom. Mom and dad didn't want me dating this wild boy over here, but I went against them and did it anyway. And now we're happily married and everything's wrong. And my bumbling parents come in and tell me how smart I was to not do what they wanted to do. Almost every television show that you see right now involving young people, they're wise, they're smart, they're on top of things, they're cool and they're hip, and their parents are like brain dead. I had no idea. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, and it's just fed to our kids. And then our kids spend most of their time on social media learning who knows what from our culture. It breeds narcissism. It is narcissism. It's a personification of the character of Satan lived out in human beings, many of which who claim to be Christians. And then we get the unwords, five of them. They are undiscerning. I have no insight, no capability to understand the meaning or importance of anything. My parents says this is important, something I should be done, something I should look forward to in my future. But all I can think about is what I want to do right now. It's completely beyond my comprehension because all I want is what I want today, right now, this minute. They're untrustworthy. There's no faithfulness in them. They're not faithful to their parents. They're not faithful to their God. They're not faithful to a relationship they have with somebody else. If it doesn't serve them, they'll break those covenants. They'll break those contracts. It doesn't matter. Because life is all about them. They'll exploit you. They'll betray you. They'll do whatever's necessary to feed their own narcissistic abyss. And they justify it. They are unloving. This was amazing. I looked up the word unloving. And I thought unloving would mean that you just don't love at all. It doesn't. It has to do with family love. There's a specific context in this love and it's family members. It means that without family love are the natural affection between family members. Those people who are closest to them are the ones that they reject. They're unforgiving. They're incapable of reconciliation, incapable of saying, you're wrong, I'm wrong, let's work things out. They're in a state of war with everybody always. This is the curse of God in this final generation that we know as narcissism today. And they are unmerciful. 
They, we already know that they will lie and they will cheat, but they have, will show no mercy or they're enabled to show any mercy or exhibit any mercy to anyone. And then Paul closes this, if that's not enough. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, knowing that those who practice such things are deserving of death, who repeatedly, habitually, continually do these things, not only do the same, but also applaud and approve and take pleasure in other people who practice them also. And the chapter ends. When I'm looking at this and I'm going, oh my gosh, this is exactly what narcissism is. And remember, these are not people who exhibit a few traits. These are people who are full of these traits. They, just, they exist in these traits because once they're full of the characteristics and the personality of Satan, there's no room for anything else inside of them. Nothing. And it is a curse of God a curse of God to a culture and a society that is preparing the way for the return of Christ. Now, I've showed you the traits of Satan. I've showed you psychologically the traits of narcissism. And I want you to compare them to this. But the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. That's exactly diametrically opposed to this idea of a narcissist with what it talks about here in Romans chapter 1. It continues. Ephesians 5 talks about some spiritual fruit. And here's what it says. For you were once darkness. You were just like that, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, if you're light in the Lord, walk as children of light. How? So Paul puts a parenthetical statement, a parenthesis in there. And Paul says this, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, all righteousness, and all truth, and a desire to find out what is acceptable and pleasing to the Lord which is how we want to live our lives. We want to live our lives pleasing him, not our lives demanding others please us. And we're not to have any fellowship with unfruitful works, but rather expose them. Let me just go through three of these. First trait that you'll find if you do any list of a narcissist, you'll find the very first trait they list. Go online and look for it yourself is this delusion of grandeur and self-importance. Nobody can do anything as good as I can. Nobody can cook like I can. Nobody can work like I can. I'm the best employee. I'm the best husband. I'm the best wife. I'm the best kid. No one can love like I love. No one can serve like I love. No one can do anything as good as I can. And even though the world doesn't see it that way, my family will. My wife will. It's called a narcissistic supply that gives the narcissist what they need to survive. Whoever that person, they'll have to see it that way. It's exactly, talk about delusions of grandeur. Satan, a created being, decided he was going to take the place of God and be like God because he wasn't satisfied with being an archangel. Instead, he wanted to be the big guy, the one who created him. If that's not the biggest delusion of grandeur, I don't know what is. 
What a ridiculous thing to do. And we find a glimpse of that in Isaiah 14, um, where it talks about these five I wills of Satan. Here's how it begins. How you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Why did I get cut down? It's really simple. You have said in your heart, I will, Satan, ascend into the heaven. My vanity. I deserve not to be on earth. I deserve to be in heaven. I'm special. I can only be hung around special people. I'm not like everybody else, and you need to acknowledge who I am. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I, not God, but I will exalt myself as the best angel, as the angel better than anybody else, because it's greed and envy. This is what I want to be. I have to be number one. Number three, I will sit on the mountain of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I don't care where God wants me to sit. I don't care where I'm, the place I'm allotted. I'm going to do what I want to do. I've already decided my place, and that's what I want. Selfishness. It's narcissism. And this is Satan himself. I will ascend to the highest of the clouds my self-exalting self, my conceited view of my own self-worth, I will be number one, self-exaltation. I will be like God. I will be like the Most High, pride and arrogance unleashed. I mean, even if we look at this delusion of grandeur, it's exactly the characteristics Satan had regarding his relationship with God. And it is running rampant in our culture right now. They have no empathy, no compassion, no love, even though they claim they do. In the end times, here's what Jesus said. He said, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of that, lawlessness will abound. Lawlessness because of false prophets, the state of being in open defiance and rebellion to the law, uh, lawlessness will abound, it will increase, it will become bigger in amount, and therefore the love of many will grow cold. It's a curse from God. It's showing Jesus is coming, and so therefore there's this curse from God. And if you look at the unloving word in Romans chapter 1, most of the time the unloving part and this love grows cold, begins with their own family, their own family. There's deception and manipulation, telling you they're one thing and finding out they're not, promising one thing and never following through, trying to present themselves as something they're not to woo you into their control web. They manipulate, they lie, they deceive, just like the enemy does. First, Second Corinthians chapter 11, look what it says here. For such are false prophets. They're not are false apostles. They're not real apostles. They're fake apostles. They're manipulative apostles. They're deceptive apostles trying to confuse you. They're deceitful workers. They're not really working for the truth. They're working for them. They're transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, so does Satan. For Satan himself transforms, deceives, manipulates himself into an angel of light to make you think he's a sheep when he's really a wolf. 
We find in this last great sermon Jesus preached about the end times, Matthew 24, he talks about deception continually. Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. First thing, don't be deceived, for many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, I am like Christ, I'm a Christian, and deceive many. Verse 11 and 12, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. But because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Ten verses later, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. Why? Because false Christ and false prophets will arise to the point of showing great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Second Thessalonians 10, 9 and 10. What is the coming of the Antichrist and the lawless one going to be like? It's going to be like a narcissist. He says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the work of Satan. And what are the works of Satan? Power, signs, and lying wonders. Not signs and wonders that come from God, but signs and wonders that are meant to deceive. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. And why do they perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Here's what Jesus said about Satan himself. He's talking to the Pharisees. And he said, you are of your father, the devil. You have the characteristic of the devil. You have Satan living in you. How? Well, the desires of your father, you want to do. You want to be just like him. As a narcissist, you want to lie. You want to cheat. You want to con people. You want to care only about yourself. You're going to put others down just for your self-exaltation. Everyone else is wrong. I'm the only one that's right. You're a constant war with everybody, just like your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Because if you're full of these things, as it says in Romans 1, there's no room for anything else. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, his own nature, his own foundation, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Which brings us to our last one here we're going to look at. Lying, envy, slander, and gossip. It's exactly what a narcissist does continually. He makes accusations and never backs them up with facts. It's always based on emotion, feeling. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Here's what it says. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ has come. And what does that mean? It means the accusers of our brethren who accuse them day and night before our God has been cast down. It's what a narcissist does. They constantly make accusations about everything. My wife, my husband, my employer, my job, my friends, everybody constantly make accusations, never backs them up with facts. It's exactly what happened here in Genesis chapter one. Satan deceived the woman. The woman said she messed up by adding something to uh, God's word at that time. We're not to eat of the fruit or even touch the fruit. And what Satan said, really, has God really said that? Are you sure you heard him right? Are you sure you know what's going on? I'm trying to cast doubt here. Well, I think I did. 
Um, he said we couldn't eat of the fruit or even touch the fruit. No, 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 no. God's a liar. As a matter of fact, the reason why he doesn't want you to eat the fruit is not because he doesn't want you living forever in your sin, but he says that he doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want to share his position. And when you eat that, you'll be just like him, which is a true statement regarding knowing good and evil. But Satan was using it in such a way to try to deceive Eve into no longer being satisfied with who she is and what God created her to be. Narcissism. It is here. It is getting worse. Doesn't seem like it's going to get better at all. When you're out talking with people, when your children bring home friends that they've met on Facebook or guys that they meet at school or stuff of that nature, you need to think carefully about some of these other characteristics of a narcissist. Obsessed with fantasies of unlimited success, fame, fearsome power, and omnipotence. And if I can't get it in the real world, I'll get it in my virtual world. I'll get it in the, in the person I create in this game. And even though I may be nothing in the real world, in this game, I am everything. That first began in our culture with a game called Dungeons and Dragons back in the 70s. Firmly convinced that whoever they're with, whoever you're with, whatever friend you have, is unique. I'm special. See, I'm special. You need to acknowledge how special I am. You need to acknowledge how spiritual I am. You need to acknowledge everything that's wonderful about me. I'm special. And since I'm special, I can only hang around people who are special just like me. And if you're not special like me, you're out of here. You're canceled. You're gone. I have to have my insecurity fed all the time. You have to tell me how excited I am, how good I am, how pretty I am, how wonderful I am, how great I am. And if I'm having a bad day, if things aren't working around for me, if I failed my exam, then I'm going to go home and I'm going to go in front of the mirror. I'm going to fix my eyes up and put this makeup on my face. And I'm going to take all these pictures of me in the mirror with a toilet in the background. And then I'm going to post them on Facebook. So all these people I don't know will say, oh, you're pretty. Oh, you're hot. Oh, you're wonderful. And somehow I feel good about myself. Isn't that crazy? It's insane. That's what our kids are doing. That's what many adults are doing. Maybe some of what you're doing. I just feel so bad about myself. Somebody has to tell me I'm pretty. Tell me I'm pretty. Tell me I'm pretty. It's narcissism. It's, it's, a, it's trying to find your worth in something other than Christ and who he made you to be. I'm entitled. I get the best of everything. It's all about me. I expect special privilege. I expect people to treat me different because you don't know who I am. And if I don't feel that way, then I will exploit others to achieve my own ends. And if I'm hurting you in doing that, if I'm making you feel bad because you're constantly serving me, I don't care. I have no empathy. I have no compassion. I, I don't want to acknowledge what you're saying. We can talk, but when we're talking, I'm talking, you're listening. I don't want to hear what you have to say. And if I finally say, okay, fine, let me hear your side of the story, I cut you off before you have a tendency to even finish because it's not about you. Nobody cares about you. It's about me. And they're everywhere, everywhere. Everybody's jealous of me. Everybody wants to be me. But really, I'm jealous of them, but I can't let that happen. So I have to twist this around in my own perverted sort of world I live in to make it feel like that 
they're actually envious of me. And if you come at me and tell me that's not true, I'm arrogant, I'm, I'm haughty, I'm, um, sometimes I get angry and mad when you confront me or tell me I'm wrong, I, I rage, I scream. I see this all the time in counseling, all the time in counseling. You got this man who just browbeats his wife verbally and finally in counseling when stop, just stop. And then I want to hear what she has to say. As soon as she sheepishly tries to say something, here it comes. It's amazing. And she just wilters and just dies. And it's only getting worse. These are the characteristics of Satan. And they're the correct characteristics of Satan and this final judgment in Romans chapter one that being manifest in your friends and your neighbors, some people you go to church with, maybe some people that you go to work with, some maybe some people in your family or some people that someday will be in your family. And if your guard isn't up and you don't recognize what it is, not a mental illness, it's not just selfishness and person's kind of stuck on themselves, Satan will have his way and he will manifest his character in the life of your family. And it is a terrible thing to deal with. Well, the good news is, since this is happening, since we're in this final phase, that Jesus is coming sometime soon. I don't know when, could be today, could be years from now. I have no idea when, but the reality is someday we're gonna meet him face to face. And all the stuff that we've wasted our time doing, building castles in the sand here on this earth, mean nothing, absolutely nothing. It's spiritual wealth, spiritual riches that we've sent up ahead of us of spiritual things he's done through us that count the most. Can a narcissist be a true believer? My personal opinion, no, they can't. Can a true believer have narcissistic tendencies? Absolutely. But when you have Satan himself manifesting his, his nature through you, there's no way because this is a curse of God that we see here. Well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid for my grandchildren. I'm afraid my grandchildren are going to drag home some narcissist guy that's going to say all the right things and do all the right things. And, you know, what, what, what are we going to do? You could have it happen in your family. You could, if you're not married, you know, how do I know who this guy is? It's really hard to figure out who a narcissist is because a narcissist is a chameleon. A narcissist makes you think one thing, but they're really something else. And usually you discover a narcissist after you say, I do, because you refuse to go to marriage counseling because you loved him so much. I see it all the time. And I realize the prophetic implications of that. How do we know the counterfeit from the truth? And how does it play out in the end times? I want to share one last thought with you in closing. And it is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul is talking to the church in Thessalonica about the coming of the Antichrist. They actually thought that the day of the Lord had already occurred, and they were confused about that. They were deceived about that. And so they didn't know what about our loved ones who have died? I mean, did, did, they, get, did they miss it? Did they not go with the Lord? And, and so Paul is laying out for them certain things that have to take place before the Antichrist comes. Here's what he says. Coming to the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. We've already looked at this passage. With power, signs, and lying wonders, and unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. 
So they're lost and they're believing satanic lies. So what does God do to lost people who believe satanic lies? He sends them something. For this reason, God. His action, just like these judgments in Romans chapter 1, God will send them a strong delusion. That the word means a false judgment or a misleading falsehood. He will send them a strong delusion that they should believe, this is pistuo, have faith in, trust in, have confidence in the lie. Singular, not group of lies, but the lie. An untruth, a falsehood, something that deviates or perverts the truth. Well, what is that lie? I don't know that uh, the Antichrist is Jesus. Okay, we can go there. But could it be anything else? Um, I don't know. It doesn't say that uh, um, everything Satan says is true, that, uh, you know, Christians are bad and, and Mother Gaia has kicked them off the earth and, and the rapture really wasn't the rapture. The rapture was that God's judging them. I mean, you can just figure out what you want. Could mean could me that the lie has to do with you. No, no, there is no authority greater than me. There is no Lord of my life but me. What I think, what I feel, what I want, what I desire, what I look at, the most beautiful thing in the world is me. The lie could be, we don't know, it could be the, the nugget of this thing called narcissism, which is just plaguing our world right now plaguing our world right now. God will send them a strong delusion that they'll believe the lie. That all, all who believe the lie will be condemned because they did not believe in the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They enjoyed being a narcissist. They enjoyed putting other people down. They enjoyed exalting themselves. They enjoyed always being right. They enjoyed the adulation from other people. Love me, like me, think I'm pretty. It's all about me because that's what they spend most of their time doing, controlling other people so they think they're wonderful. And if you disagree, man, I will come at you like you can't believe. Time in which we live. How do we guard against that? Really simple. Let me tell you what you can trust. And let me see if I say this the right way. You can trust nothing but this. Nothing but this. God. You can always trust God. You can always trust God speaking to you through his word. Therefore, the only thing I can trust is God and his word that what I need to do is read his word more and hear him speak to me through his word. And he speaks to me through the third thing I can trust, which is his spirit. His spirit, which takes the word of God, imputes it to us so that I understand his truth. Everything else is a falsehood except his truth, revealed through his word, imparted by his spirit, given by God. In my personal opinion, there is nothing perfectly trustworthy other than these or people that you may know that has life correspond with his word, his spirit, and his truth. Okay. But that's who I can trust. Who can I not trust? 
You cannot trust this world. This world is passing away. The world has its own set of rules. The world exalts certain things. The world rewards you for what it wants to do. The spirit and the world are different. The world caters to the flesh. The spirit does not. If we're in Christ, we walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. I cannot trust the media. I don't care what media it is because the media propagates the things of the world. Cannot trust the world. You cannot trust the media. You may find this as a surprise, but you can't trust the government. And you cannot trust any institution of man, including the church. If the church is an institution of man, you cannot trust the church. You can only trust the church if it's an institution of God. That's why our churches today don't speak with a single voice, because many of them are institutions of men. You cannot trust the internet. You cannot trust YouTube, Google, Facebook, Instagram. Can't trust any of that. You can't trust even good sites on the internet because everybody has an agenda. Everybody has an agenda. And you cannot trust your friends. Do you know that most of your friends really don't have your best interest in heart? They have their best interest in heart. And as long as you're feeding their world, that's the way it is. That's why when you graduate from high school with your best friends and you go to this college and they go to that college and you move over here and they move over here, never talk to them anymore. You go to work and I've worked with this person for 12 years and I'm getting ready to leave or they're getting ready to leave and take a job across town. We're going to stay together. You never do. Hardly ever. Because it's not about relationships. It's about other things. You cannot trust your children's friends. Children's friends, no matter where they go to school, no matter what their dad does, you can't trust them. You can't trust your feelings. You can't trust what seems right in your own eyes. You cannot follow your own heart because your heart is deceitfully wicked. You cannot trust wealth pleasure, worldly happiness, your emotions. You can't trust what you want to do because we serve a mighty God. And this idea of narcissism is is so prevailing, uh, prevailing in our culture right now that you don't know who to trust other than God, his word communicated by his spirit, giving you his truth. That's called what Oswald Chambers would say, total surrender and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what we've been talking about. Been talking about surrendering our life to him, talking about how to hear from him, talking about putting that first in your priority to actually hear from God. And if by some chance you don't, or you haven't, or you don't know how to hear from God, will you contact me this week and let me help you with that? It's really not that hard. It's a simple process. It's difficult to do because the hardest part of yielding yourself to God is surrendering yourself or or saying no to you to say yes to him. We're living in rather turbulent times, but the good news is that Jesus is coming soon and we should look forward to his return. Amen? Let me pray.